0: Paul in his letters, if you look at the structure of them, uh, they typically vacillate between uh, opening chapters are doctrine, the last closing chapters are typical Practice, doctrine and practice. You can't obey unless you first know what you need to obey. Uh, when you look at the book of Romans, uh, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul uh, gives us uh, a roadmap for Christian maturity, which he's going to uh, develop as we get into First Thessalonians. And uh, I want to start out with this today because it sets a stage for how to grow up in Christ, which should be the goal of all Christians. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, uh, what is your duty? Uh, your duty as a Christian is to present your body, a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which he says is your reasonable service of worship. And then he tells you uh, how to go about doing that. He says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why should you do that? Well, that you might prove what the will of God is, uh, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh the two commands that he, give here, he gives here, one is a negative and one is positive. So the command uh, uh, where he says, don't be conformed uh, is the negative command. Uh, and because that particular word, schizimatso uh, 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 is the word, schema uh, is the word in English, uh, came from a Greek word. Uh, it means to take something and conform it to a mold. So if you ever have had a mold and poured something into it and then it eventually pops out, uh, that's forcing that thing into that mold. And because it's a present tense wedded to a negative, he's telling the uh, Roman Christians, stop being conformed to the world. Uh, And there's a different Greek command that he didn't use here, uh, not even to think about it. No, he's telling them, you're doing this, stop doing this. So if you want to head to Christian maturity, the first thing you look at is a negative command. Look at your life and ask yourself, where is my life conformed to the world? The standards of the world. And God, move me away from that. number two, he says, if you want to head to maturity on the positive side, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Metamorpho is the word. Sounds like metamorphosis. Uh, If you like transformer movies, (laughs) nobody does. Yeah, not that I've bypassed them either. I think they're kind of cool. But when the the car transforms into a, a a, a giant being, and, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And this car becomes this giant thing, like a robot. Um, that's transformation. That's metamorphosis. And so what Paul says here, uh, stop conforming your life to what the world says is, is, is what you should be doing uh, and, and conform yourself to what God says you should be, and then be transformed in your mind. So your mind's transformed and then transforms your life. So your life is transformed radically different. Like that car is radically transformed. You should be radically transformed on a continual basis. And we know it's continual because it's a present tense command that you should be continually doing this. So if you took the whole Christian life, you could boil it down to those two verses. What is, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. Yeah, you do. He just told you what his will is. That you stop letting your life be conformed to what the world says is the proper standard for behavior because it's not. And what does God say? Secondly, let your mind be transformed because the mind's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. And so he says, get your mind transformed to that which reflects holiness in God. So how do you go about doing that? Well, you stay in the word of God because the word of God is the standard of measurement. So it doesn't matter what the culture says. doesn't matter what the cultural affirms. doesn't matter what courts pass as laws. If it does not conform to the word of God, it deviates and goes to sin. And so he says, conform your life to uh, what God says, uh, and as you begin to do that, your mind is transformed, your life is transformed, and you live in a way you never lived before, and it's radical, and it's awesome. That's Christian maturity. And so what he's going to tell the Thessalonians is going to be very similar to what he told the Romans. Uh, because uh, it's the same concepts apply. And so in the book of Thessalonians, we've spent the first three chapters uh, where Paul has been answering uh, various uh, concerns about the church and talking to them about a a variety of things. Uh, But then when you get to uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, he shifts gears and gets down to the nitty-gritty of telling them, in light of what we've talked about, I'm most concerned in chapters 4 and 5 that you grow up in the faith. That's what he's concerned about. And, And Paul's concern is my concern. Like, my, my job is to, for my own life to grow up in the faith and then to challenge you to, for you to grow up in the faith. I mean, that, that's what it is at the end of the day. I mean, when I stand before God and he says, did the people in your church grow up in the faith? Well, I, I hope so, Lord. That was my goal. I, I gave it my best shot. I taught him the word of God. I modeled Christ, et cetera. So growing up in the faith this is what chapters four to five are about. So he's going to get very specific on how to mature as a Christian in these two chapters. And so if you want to uh, learn how to mature as a Christian, he's going to tell you the areas you need to pay attention to. Um, now, I will realize at the very beginning, uh, Christian growth is not a straight line upward toward God. Because we have sinful natures, we struggle with sin. So, if you think you're sitting there and like, well, I don't struggle with sin. You got a, you got a deception problem. You got a lying problem. Uh, because if you're married, just ask your mate. If you're dating, ask whoever it is you're dating. You know, do I have my act together? Not really. You know, they'll tell you. Uh, and if you're single, uh, and just ask the Lord to show you. And he will forthrightly show you. Uh, but I'm here to tell you, as a person who has worked my whole life trying to mature in the faith, uh, in Hebrews 12:1 it says, There is sin which easily entangles you. We all have it. So yours might be different than mine. We all have sin that trips us up. And you wonder, what in the world was I thinking? Well, if, if uh, you're trying to move on to maturity and you've been entangled by sin, well, today's the day, today's the day to come free. Uh, which we're going to do at the end of this service. So how can a believer move from uh, immaturity to maturity? How can you, how can you do that? So uh, what Paul is going to do is he's going to dive into that, and he's going to dive into it by addressing, first and foremost, the concept of sexuality. Wow. Of all the topics he could pick, he says, if you really want to grow up in the faith, start with your sexuality first. Leads to a hermeneutical question. Why do he start there? Uh, well, he's, he started there because God created us uh, as sexual beings, did he not? He did. Uh, and we, uh, whether we like to say it or not, we tend to think about sexuality a lot. Nobody? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's just, it's just how we're wired. Um, and the other reason why Paul brings it up is that culture is historically there to give us a wrong view about sexuality. Uh, and, and they give you the sinful view. So in Paul's culture, remember, he's in, he's in uh, the Grecian area. He's in Corinth writing to the Thessalonians. And uh, uh, Corinth and Athens, the whole area where he was, had the Temple of Aphrodite. And there was a thousand temple prostitutes, male or female. And you could worship by going up to the Acropolis to worship with a prostitute. And everything was affirmed and acceptable. But I must tell you, whatever the culture says is affirmed and acceptable. If it deviates, the word of God is sin. And so Paul says, uh, "We need to first talk about your sexuality, because in your culture, the worship of Aphrodite, and the worship of Aphrodite is alive and well in our culture. Um, it's woven uh, the, the worship of sex is woven all through our culture, but it's not what God says it should be. And so Paul's going to start with a, where it's a, it's a problem area for all of us, so that we can grow up in the faith, because if you compromise your sexuality, you compromise your spirituality, and then you don't grow up. So he says, let's let's get our acts together here. So those are some of the reasons why he uh, addresses this. The other one is sexuality is a drive the devil loves to tap into. Because he knows you have desires and things, and he just taps into that. uh, And he he begins to tempt you and test you and move you in directions that are away from God. So Paul says, let's get back to what God says and conform our lives to what God has to say. And I want to say a couple more things before we dig into the first verse. We're getting there. Um, God's word does not tickle your ears. It does not. It can bring comfort to your soul when you're, when you're grieving. It can bring insight and wisdom when you seek it. Uh, but there's a lot of times when you read it, wow, it, it's like a freight train. Because it's different than what the world says, but this is what God says. So what the world does is it loosens what God says about sexuality and calls that good. And God comes along and says, no, I need to tighten what I say about sexuality so that you can grow up in the faith. Again, you must stop and ask yourself, when it comes to sexuality, is my life conformed to what the world says or what God says? Big question. Um, God's a concept about sexuality never changes. You understand this? It is, it is that which is timeless. And so God never changes and modifies what he says about sexuality or gender It is what it is because he created us the way he created us. And so with those things in mind, uh, we'll we'll look at how do you grow up in the area of sexuality uh, in Jesus? Well, he's going to give you a number of things. We'll spend more time on the first two things and move quickly through the last few things. So number one, uh, how do you grow up in this area? Well, you realize you have an obligation to walk worthy as a Christian. He says, finally, brethren, then, uh, we request it and exhort you in, in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us the instruction as how you ought to walk uh, and please God, and then he parenthetically throws in, just as you actually do walk, uh, that you may excel more, for you know that the commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So the word then here, finally, then, brethren, uh, the word in Greek is un, uh, and it is a grammatical marker pointing back to what he just said. And it's been two weeks since we talked, and so we need to refer back to, well, what did he just say? Because it's been two weeks. Brain cells have died. I'm Marty. You've forgotten who I am. That type of thing. Uh, and so I went to a Journey concert last week before I got sick. You know what I'm saying? They were all old. Yeah. Yeah. It was, wow. It was, it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Liz, they have white hair. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you, we get old and, and, and they didn't move either. Just, you know, just anyway, back to my sermon. So in case you've forgotten who I am, you know, yeah. Uh, so what did he just talk about? Well, he just talked about in chapter three, verse 13, that he wants, his goal as their pastor is that at the appearance of Jesus Christ, he can say, my saints lived blameless lives. Wow. What a goal for a pastor that every, there's 3000 people in our church. You know, my goal would be that when you stand before Jesus, he can say, wow, what kind of life did you live? Unbelievable. It was so holy. People couldn't even bring accusation against you. So in light of the Lord coming back, and we have to give account to him one day how we've lived, he says, in light of that, I need to talk to you about the area of sexuality. He says, you have an obligation to walk worthy regarding sexuality. Uh, the word obligation uh, is, is from the word here where he, he speaks about, uh, we request and exhort you, when he says how you ought to walk uh, it's it's one little word in Greek. It's the word die. D e i. Uh, die is the word, uh, and uh, the word means compulsory, or that which is necessary, or that which is binding. Does it sound optional to you? Uh, I don't think so. So when I was reading this in my Greek text, I'm like, oh, he. That's the word he used there. And since that's the word that he used there, then I must conform my life to what God says is sexuality, not what I think or feel is sexuality or all my friends say is. Because I have an obligation as a Christian to walk worthy. It's an ought thing because of who I am. So once I become a Christian, I, I must walk to please God. Why? Because I am in Jesus. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, when you come to know Christ, he baptizes you mystically into the body of Christ. Now you are in Christ. You're not outside of Christ and lost. You're inside of Christ. You have a new relationship with him. And because I have this holy relationship, I must walk in light of who I am. Do I walk like a son or do I walk like not a son of Jesus or a daughter, etc.? So it's an, it's an odd thing. Uh, so you can't look at this, uh, what Paul's going to say here in the ensuing verses and say, it's just his opinion. It's just what he said. It's culturally conditioned, you know, just for back then. No, no. He said, this is what you ought to do at all times is is make sure that you walk in a way with your sexuality and and please God. And he also says, you actually, parenthetically, he says, just as you actually walk, he's commending them. This is why he was such a great pastor. He wasn't browbeating them all the time. You ever had those kind of pastors that's always negative all the time? Certainly not here. Um, You know, you got to have some encouragement occasionally. And so he's like, hey, I've seen some great progress. That you guys are actually doing this. So I commend you who have done So you kind of sit back and wonder what's he not telling us? Well, I'm sure there's some, some of those men and women who used to take advantage of the concept of Aphrodite and worship. Well, it's just worship. It's a temple prostitute. It's, the cultural affirms this. Since the cultural affirms this, must be okay. Paul says, no, it's sin. Sin. Leave Aphrodite behind. Go away. Leave. And so they did. Uh, husbands who left their wives. Uh, For other women, probably dropped those other women, came back to their wives. I mean, you could go down the list of things that men were convicted, women were convicted, and they came back to walking worthy. Paul says, I commend you. But there's still more to do, he says. So, how do you get control in this key area? Number one, realize it's an obligation to walk worthy. It's not a suggestion. Number two, do realize the importance of steering clear of sexual, sinful forms. Now, There are lawn signs, bumper stickers, flags, all kinds of stuff that say, all love is love. I feel like I've had a 60s flashback. (laughs) All love is love. It sounds so nice. Most of the stuff from the devil does sound nice. All love is love. True or not true? Not true. Because we know uh, that not all forms of what someone says is love is love because it deviates from what God says constitutes love. All love is love. If all love is love, then there is no such thing as perversion sexually. Because all love by definition is what we all say it is to us individually. You must affirm what I say is love. Therefore, it is by definition love. Based on that, you have no perversion. But the the biblical mandate is there's lots of perversion. Why? Because it deviates from what God said is love. So even as you could say, all sex is sex, uh, that's all permissible. No, that, that isn't either because we can give you all kinds of situations and scenarios that deviate from that which is normal and God-given to that which is abnormal. Sinful. So Paul's going to say here to those uh, who are struggling with sexuality and, and getting control over there what, what you need to do. So what is, what is God-ordained sexuality? Sex between a man. No, I have to change this. Sex between a real man and a real woman within the confines of holy matrimony. I'm going to say it again. What is true sexuality? It is a physical relationship between a real man and a real woman within the confines of holy matrimony, which means anything apart from that is sin. And this isn't Marty talking. My job is not to represent things I'm thinking, but to tell you, this is what God's word says, as I'm going to show you. All right? So if you want to write me an email, send it to God first. Okay, so, so what is the will of God? If this is the will of God, he says, "As your sanctification, your holiness. Well, what is that? What is, how do I get holy? It says that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you, this is a good one, know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Because that's the problem. When you deviate from God's form of what is proper sexuality, you're following whatever you feel like you need to be doing. You don't have control of yourself. You're out of control. What is God's will? For those who are always asking me, I just don't know what God's will is. He just told you again what his will is. That you would be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Just drop the word holy in. So there's, when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification in systematic theology, there's two, two ways to look at it. Sanctification or holiness uh, is first positional. So before you're a Christian, you're, you have sin. Uh, and your sin is the problem. But when you come to know Christ as your Savior and he forgives you and he washes you clean of your sin and makes you his child, he gives you his holiness. That's how you get into heaven. 1 Corinthians 1.30, go read it uh, at lunch today. In Christ, you have this sanctification. It never goes away. That's why I believe in eternal security. You can't lose it. He gives it to you positionally. But what the scriptures are talking about, especially in the New Testament, is practical holiness. Day-to-day holiness that my day-to-day life matches my position, that my practice matches my position. That is maturity. And so he says here, this is God's will, even your holiness, your sanctification, that you do what? Abstain from what? Are you here? <laughs> Sexual immorality. Um, now, the word here to abstain, apeko uh, uh, in Greek, uh, is very interesting. It, it means and I'll, It means to run the other way. Did you hear me? When he says that you fiddle with, uh, no, that you slightly investigate, no, uh, that you rationalize, no, he says you, a peko, run the other way. You have to stop and ask yourself, I mean, just for a sidelight, uh, am I running the other way? When it comes to that which is sexually deviant behavior, am I running toward it or as fast as I can the other way? When Joseph was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, what'd he do? He he got out of dodge long before westerns were even westerns. He's, he's gone. He leaves her cloak, his cloak in her hand. Man, he's he's gone. That that is what a means. It means get out of there. He says, flee what? Sexual immorality. Well, the Greek word is, and I'll give it to you, and you'll know the word. This is why Greek's easy to learn. Porneus. Sounds like porno. Yeah. Now, the next big question is, well, what does that mean? Uh, and so I read, um, I read all the lexical etymological definitions of pernaeus. Uh, so what does it mean? And I'll summarize many, many pages this way. Pernaeus refers to the entire spectrum of sexual activity that's outside of marriage. And I won't list all the varieties that there are. If it's out, outside of marriage and holy matrimony, uh, it's porneous. It's sexual immorality. No matter what you call it, no matter how good you feel about it, no matter what your friends say, no matter what a court says, if it's outside of the bonds of holy matrimony between a real man and a real woman, it's porneous. What's Paul say? Flee it. Flee it. Run run from it. Dr. D.A. Edmund Hebert, a renowned Greek scholar, says this about fornication, which is the pivotal word here. He says, quote, fornication is used here in its comprehensive meaning to denote every kind of unlawful sexual intercourse. He says, a few manuscripts even insert the word all to stress the inclusiveness of the prohibition. So if you're thinking in your mind right now, well, my, my variety of sexual activity outside of marriage uh, is probably not covered. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, all deviant forms are. What does Paul say? Well, then uh, all love cannot be loved by definition then because some versions of love is perversion. Masquerading as love. And so Paul says, you must run from it. There was a man in my last church had four beautiful children, a set of twins. They were just cute as a button, beautiful wife. Um, She was a a, a great woman Uh, and he had an affair on her. He had an affair on her. Uh, And it was pretty interesting because he was a typical Pharisee, always lambasting me about legalistic things. And he was a very holier than thou kind of guy. And then he went and had an affair and left his wife and four kids and his wife's in a wheelchair. I didn't think much of that, man. I eventually did his wife's funeral. Left four little kids behind uh, that their oldest sister had to raise them. Sad. And the dad came to the funeral with his new wife. What was he committing? Adultery. I don't care whatever way he couched it. It was sin. It was evil. It was evil. He should have ran from the other woman and ran back to his wife. But he did not. Uh, There was another scenario of a pornea, a young Christian uh, girl met a a, a uh, supposedly Christian man, uh, and uh, they they started dating, fell in love with each other, and decided because they lived in an area where it was very expensive to live, uh, it was most uh, economically affordable for them to move in together. So they called me and told me what they were thinking about doing. You know, we look at our finances and we think we're going to eventually get married, but we think it's better if we just move in together. And if we move in together, we'll have so much money to pay for rent and everything. It just sounds like what God would want from us. No, it isn't. That's what you want to do. That is not what God would approve. God wants you to control yourself until you get married and do not move in together. Now, people don't always listen to me. Do they listen to you? Yeah. And they moved in together. You know, th- this is not optimal. This is sin. Paul says, Flee immorality. Uh, there was a friend of mine that I uh, worked with when I was in college or in, in high school. There's three, three of us. We worked at Denny's together. Uh, me, Mike, and Steve. Uh, and we were, we were good buddies. Uh, and we worked at Denny's on the Mer- Mexican border uh, and, you know, worked uh, 5 to 11 at night, you know. And, and uh, you know, I'd go to school during the day, play baseball, and then go, then go to work. And um, Steve always had a, he had a nice car, nice stereo system, blah, blah, blah. But it's like he had tons of money. And so one day, one day, Steve and I, or um, uh, Mike and I asked him on a break. Steve like, man, where do you get all the money? And he said, well, I go down to Mexicali, Mexico when we get off work at 11 o'clock. I go, what do you go there for? He goes, I'm a male prostitute. Huh? That's what he did. And trust me, we, we, we shared Christ with my friend Steve many, many, many. We were 18 years old. And, and, you know, he's going through my dad's border. I'm like, dad, stop him. You know, you know? what was he engaged in? Pornia. Pornia, sexual sin, sexual sin. So Paul says when it comes to sexual sin, don't rationalize it. Don't get a bunch of friends around you who will help you feel good about it. He says if it deviates from what God says, run the other direction. So do you have any areas of your life that you've deviated from God's prescription for morality or sexuality is concerned? Do you have any areas? Uh, And if you do, uh, ask God to, to help you move away from it. And ask him to show you where you need to move, move away from it. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not doing anything. But you're into pornography. See, pornography is a problem too. Because Jesus said that the mirror, look upon a woman lustfully if you've committed adultery, if you're married. So, so you engaged in any, any of that kind of activity? Are you a young, young person who's doing more with your girlfriend than you should? Then, then what should you do? Uh, 40% statistic says 40% of students have sex before they graduate from high school. I'm sorry we have to talk about these things, but we live in a culture that's sinful. And we want to live a holy way. So if you're a high school student, you're part of the 40%, but you're a Christian, uh, what should you do? Uh, Well, make a vow of purity to the Lord today. God, I will stop doing that. Um, Break off the relationship. If it's so tempting, you can't stop yourself. Then she's not for you. Uh, Don't watch TV alone when the parents go to bed and you stay up with your girlfriend. Don't do that. Uh, don't get alone with her, for sure. Don't drink. Smoke anything. That lowers your inhibitions. I mean, start using your brain. Uh, make yourself accountable to some godly people that you can trust in your life, that who will pray for you and hold you accountable. Uh, stay in the word of God, because that's the first thing that's going to go. Get back in the word of God. You can become a victor, but it starts with, I understand the oughtness of my position as a Christian. And I understand the importance of fleeing that which is tempting to me. Number three, do realize there is a holy and an unholy desire. He says, do all this not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Greek here for passion is the word epithumia. So passion, passion could be good, passion can be evil. It depends on the object of said passion. So I've been married this May for 43 years. I got the right girl. We're in love. I love her. I love I told her last night, you're still as beautiful as ever, maybe even better. I it's awesome. Yeah. But but if I start looking at somebody else's wife, going, Oh, she looks pretty good. Then then I've uh, wrong object of my passion, right? So epithumia, if the if the object is wrong, then it becomes sin. How do I know this? Because Jesus said so. Matthew five twenty-eight. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust, epithumia for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. So it's not wrong to have passion, to be a greater leader, to do great things that have a great object. But if the object is that which is verboten, comprende, understand, <laughs> it's wrong. Then if the object is wrong, I can't touch that, then I don't touch that. But if I touch that, then I've sinned. And Jesus says, you've sinned even in the thought of it. Boy, that's a whole other way of looking at sin. So you have to stop and ask yourself, God, is there anything in my life that is an unholy desire? Today's the day to show God. Show me my unholy desire. I need to come clean from that and confess that, and get back to a place of, of, of strength and victory. Uh, next, do you realize you should control yourself so others aren't defrauded. This is what Paul says: No man that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. What matter? <laughs> He's not talking about business arrangements. He's saying, in the matter of sexuality, don't defraud somebody else. Well, what does that mean? So, when you defraud somebody else, you're taking somebody something that what that's not. It's not yours. So, I've encountered these before. If you see the the sign and it's, it's posted, no hunting, private property, and you got a shotgun, and there's a whole bunch of dove over there, I feel God calling me. And they're just they're just over there. You know, uh, if I were to go over there and bag some birds. I might, you know, do it, but I just defrauded the the landowner. It's fraudulent behavior. I just defrauded somebody. It's the same thing. When I traverse God's boundaries to protect us sexually, when I traverse those boundaries where he says, don't go over there, I just defrauded somebody. So, like, if I take advantage of someone else's wife or you do or whatever it is that you do, you just ripped off someone else. Like, if you think taking a young lady's virginity is a great thing as a young man, a point of passage No, it's evil. It's evil. Why? You just defrauded her future husband. You stole from him. It was not yours to steal. Follow? And so Paul says, no man transgress and defraud a brother. Uh, In my first church, wow, I started out in an interesting way. Number one, it was a retirement community. And I was a youth pastor. Go figure. But but I got there and you know they gave me an office and then they hired a, a worship guy and there weren't any offices left so they gave him a closet in the choir room I kid you not a closet and the stage for the the choir was over his office so was, even his office was it was like at an angle I'm like oh man Chris man I feel sorry for you dude but well. The scuttlebutt of the church was, you know, because they just hired both of us to be new. They hired Chris to replace the other worship guy. Why? What happened to him? Because he had an affair with a lady in his choir. And they did their business in that office. Look, I'm telling you. In the church? I'm telling you. Fire, lightning, smoke, thunder, earthquake. No way. So they fired him. Because he didn't repent. Neither did she etc. So he lost his job. So when, when he talks here about you know, unholy desire and then not ripping somebody else, when that choir director had an affair with the lady in his choir, she's married and he's married. He just defrauded her husband. Paul says, don't do that. It's evil. You have to stop and ask yourself, am I defrauding anyone else? Am I stealing from... Well, you're thinking, well this only applies to married people. No, it doesn't. It applies to single people, married people, all people don't defraud somebody else. He says. Uh, next, he says in verse six, do realize that the Lord deals with saints who test Him. This is a warning. He says because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before, and Solomon may warn you. He says God is holy and He's not static; He's dynamic. So that if you test His holiness with your high-handed fist of self-will, He says the Lord is the what? He's the avenger. Ekdaikos is the word. It means to exact a penalty based on an infraction. So, what's the Lord do? Like a father would do when when you're disobedient, he comes along, he loves you, he disciplines you. The Lord's going to come along and discipline you. Does it say what he's going to do? No. He left it open. It's kind of ominous. But he loves you enough that he's going to work in your life as he did in David's life. When David had sin with, sin with Bathsheba and one sin led to another sin. And, and God's like, David, I can't leave you in this situation. I must, I must discipline you to bring you back to the fold. But, but your sin's going to cost you. And so the Lord is the avenger. So you have to stop and ask yourself, God, are, is there anything in my life you're looking at avenging to get my attention? And if he is getting your attention through what he's doing in your life to rock your world, to get you away from your sin, then say, God, th- thank you for that. He says, next, do realize the Lord has called you to purity, not impurity. He says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, sexual impurity, but to sanctification, which really just means, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm doing that's not pure? Anything. Show me. Show me. And I will repent of that. I will confess that to you. I will move away from that. I will get away from that person. I'll get that out of my life. Anything in my life that's not pure. And then Paul is very smart. He knew people would argue with him and send him emails. And so that's verse eight. He says, do you realize that to reject this teaching is to reject Christ's teaching? What's he say? Consequently, he who rejects this, that I've just said, is not rejecting man, but who? God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So if you wanna argue with it, you wanna argue with me? Don't argue with me, you're arguing with God who made you who you are and set parameters for you to live in for your own health and holiness and peace. Anything else is sinful and will not lead to happiness and wholeness. And then lastly, he says, do you realize you have God's resident for power, for victory, because he says, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Nitrous in a car is a good thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Little switch on the dash. You push it, you're going 55 on the 495. Now you're going 155. (laughs) Just saying, not that I have nitrous, but I know what it could do from going to drag races and stuff. You throw that switch and it's like gone. It's like a UFO acceleration. What's this got to do with the Holy Spirit? He's the nitrous. See, when it comes to your sexuality, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. How do I get control? God says, you got the nitrous. You got the Holy Spirit. You stand here throwing the switch. How do you throw the switch? God, here I am, throw the switch. Give me the spirit to give me power to get back to holiness where my sexuality is concerned. Forgive me for not being holy here. You've got the power. Do you realize this? You have the power for victory. Let's pray. Father, you know each person that's standing here, you know their struggles. Uh, you know that sin which easily trips them up, which has become a, a giant ball and chain in their life. Uh, brings them grief guilt no matter what they say or think they know that is true but today's a day for victory today's a day with your great grace you break a chain and help them to move on to holiness in this area that is so important shower your grace and your love upon them help them to understand they're a child and a daughter that's restored by you and then may they then turn and walk out of this place tap into the power of the Holy Spirit for daily living to appeal personally for his strength to do that which they can't do in their humanness and we just thank you for the power of the victory you give us in him. We praise you. We adore you. May we continue to live lives that really count. In Christ's name, amen.